Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Alpha Sale is here with 30% off Alpha and installation. The Container Store, where space comes from. This is episode 296 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at Zombieland Double Tap and go over the week in movie news and movie trailers. All that more on today's Real Me In. What is going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and this is episode 290. Six, if you are a uh, new listener, welcome. Uh, what we do is we talk about movies and just anything in the movie world, and uh, we love talking about it. So if you just want to join in on the conversation, listen to our thoughts, uh, our opinions, whatever, uh, hopefully um, you listen all the way through the end, and thank you for taking a chance on us. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Uh, like I said at the top, this is episode 296. We are getting close to episode 300 on this week's episode. Uh, Zombieland Double Tap will be the um, movie of choice, conversation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the sequel, the 10-year-long-waited sequel to Zombieland back in 2009 when Joel and I were just fresh little babies in the the world uh no i'm just kidding we were teenagers but uh we were uh no we were we were adults sir because we were what i was about to turn 20 yeah i was i was 19 when it came you out. were a couple months away from 20 yeah, yeah. so yeah it's, yeah, it was it's crazy. crazy um i was i was in college <laughs> now i'm the, now i'm an old old fart still doing this uh for you guys so um yeah, so that is what we're going to be doing on, on this episode, uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's about it. But uh, before I throw it over to uh, the wonderful co-host over there that has returned back from his trip, uh, no, we didn't get a divorce, like I said last <laughs> week. I, I, I totally made that up. I know you guys thought that was 100% real, but uh, no, I made that up. Um, but he is back from his trip, uh, and that is uh, good old Joseph over there. But before I throw it over to him, please... Spread this around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. We would really, really appreciate it. You guys are the best. So, uh, Joseph, how's it going over there, sir? Uh, it's been a couple weeks um, since we've done an episode together. Um, you, you know, you said you listened a little bit to last week's episode and you had I, to be I, on call for something, which I think that's BS because you probably <laughs> didn't want to listen to it. But that's, that's well, okay. we uh, the whole story basically. No, no. So um, I, I, li- I did listen through the news and, and trailers, and then we were driving. Uh, we were on our way back home, and I'll tell you all where I was in a second. But I, I listened to part of it, and then whenever we stopped for, for, uh, for a potty break uh, during the drive, um, when I got back, I decided, I w- I decided you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this up later. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this book that I'm reading, and then I didn't actually take it up later. But I did. I did watch your review of Jim and I Man. I just didn't listen to your review on the episode um, of Jim and I Man. So, um, and there is a difference for the new listeners out there. He has content on YouTube. He, he reviews these movies as as he sees them. So I do know what he what he thought about that. Um, and I did see that movie. I saw that movie while I was on my trip. But yeah. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, I am back. I had a really good vacation. Basically, I was in Williamsburg, Virginia, um, doing the sort of the tour of um, the places where essentially the um, American government was kind of established. Um, and so Williamsburg, Virginia, Jamestown, Yorktown, and then their little historical um, versions of themselves, historical Historical Jamestown, Yorktown Battlefield, and I forgot what Williamsburg is called. Maybe just Historic Williamsburg. Um, and yeah, just kind of touring and, and looking at museums and stuff. It was really nice. Basically, it was just nice to have a week off from from work, from school, from um, from everything. And, and uh, yeah, I saw a bunch of movies, of course, but for the most part, I was just kind of you know, walking around a lot with my parents, uh, going through all these, all these towns. And that was really nice. But the, <laughs> so the drive there, I live in Texas. Now, uh, people outside the U S may not quite understand the size of the U S until they're in it. So from Texas to, for, to Virginia, we drove is about a 21 hour drive. So we took it in two days each, like there and back. So it was 40 hours of driving overall. And I'm telling you, my legs are just – they're just different. They're, they're not the same. Uh, it's, it's a lot of sitting. And uh, so I watched a bunch of movies to kind of you know, um, spend my time on the road. And I wrote – and I, and I wrote <laughs> – and I read a book. Uh, the book was – Unfollow, which is uh, a memoir by Megan Phelps Roper of uh, sort of growing up in and leaving the Westboro Baptist Church. It's fantastic. Just came out last week. Y'all should definitely read it or listen to the audiobook. Uh, she wrote she read the uh, her her own book. Um, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. It's one that's gonna be made into a movie. Um, I think we reported on that a while ago. Reese Witherspoon's producing it, Mark Webb's directing it, Nick Hornby's writing it. Can't wait to see. Uh, to see how that turns out, it'll be a hard R rating from what I can gather in the book, but it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating. So I read that; that was part of it. I watched a bunch of movies, uh, sort of in prep for for ones like coming up. Um, well, kind of. So I watched Mean Streets, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and After Hours from Martin Scorsese in prep for The Irishman, just because those are some early. Um, uh, early Scorsese movies I have not I had not seen before. Really big fan of all of them, especially After Hours. That was my favorite. I watched uh, Sex Lies and Videotape from Steven Soderbergh, who who just had The Laundromat uh, uh, come out on Netflix. So just kind of getting an early one his his debut down. Um, the Squid and the Whale, which is kind of a, a bookend project for Noah Baumbach, um, with Marriage Story coming up. That was a divorce movie about. Uh, from the um, perspective of the parents, primarily, Squid and the Whale is a divorce movie from the perspective primarily of the kids, although it does feature the adults a lot too. Um, and it's good. I, I definitely – let's just say I prefer Marriage Story in just about every way. But Squid and the Whale is good, is good. Um, let's see. Oh, Seven Samurai from Akira Kurosawa, three and a half hours, the quickest three and a half hours ever. Uh, that movie flies by and it's giant and it's – and it's one of the best movies ever made, obviously. Uh, definitely watch that. I kind of wish I, I would have 
watched on something other than the $70 portable DVD player that I bought <laughs> to to accompany me on the trip. But um, – or it was $80. Anyway, but nevertheless, great in any context. Uh, just absolute towering piece of work. Um, nobody shoots battle combat quite like Akira Kurosawa did. And I think that that's probably obvious to most people. I've seen Ron, his film Ron – which is a retelling of King Lear, and it's sort of the same thing there. Um, you can tell that <laughs> that nobody directs combat like he does. But yeah, Seven Samurai is is phenomenal. Uh, genuinely remembered to be one of the best movies ever made. Pretty sure it's like in everybody, or in the major top fives, kind of. And uh, yeah, lives up to that. Uh, I think that, that was it. I had a few others that I, that I brought. I didn't end up watching them. Um... I wanted to catch up with some early Pedro Almodovar before Pain and Glory comes out. I'm seeing that on Monday, but I didn't get to it, and that's fine. Um, and I think I also brought, oh yeah, The Last Emperor from Bernardo Bertolucci. One Best Picture for 1987, uh, and it's, I think, the director's cut, so it's longer than Seven Samurai. I think it's like three hours and 40 minutes. I didn't get to watch that, but had a good trip overall. I also I, I saw Gemini Man, um, which was extremely forgettable. Uh, I want blockbusters to be shot like that movie. I know that you didn't see it in 3D HFR, but I did. It looks stunning. Not a very good movie, but it looks stunning. And um, I definitely want blockbusters to be shot that way because I think that I think that it's the future. I think we're looking at the future. Um, I don't know how much this costs. I think it was pretty high. I think it was pretty far up there, like 140 maybe. So it may be that they want to figure out a cost-effective way of doing it. Maybe maybe don't hire Will Smith, who's extremely expensive. That might that might cut down some of the cost. Uh, yeah, very forgettable. Um, and in the week since, man, it's just been a lot of work. I came back to a heavy work week, um, but I did see like the Adams Family. I saw uh, watched the laundromat. Obviously, saw Zombieland, saw Maleficent, uh, all within the past couple of days. Um, but since I got back, I've just been really busy with stuff. Uh, so not, not much, not much there, but, um, but yeah, so I've had a good couple weeks off. I missed, I missed you guys. Um, I missed you guys, missed, missed the show, but, but I was happy to have a, have a week off for sure. So that's how, that's how I've been lately. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it, well, it's like what I was telling them, uh, as I was re- recording last week, I hadn't done a show solo and so long. And so I was just so used to having someone to talk back with hearing someone else's thoughts and then counteracting. And so I had to talk to myself again and it was, uh, it was very weird and strange, but, uh, I, I did it for a few years before he, you. And so, but he, but Chase talks to himself a lot. That's, Whenever that's I true. stayed with him, he, he has this little carve out, carved out place in the wall where he goes up and stands and just puts his head in the carved out place and then just talks. And it's really weird. I'd never said anything about it, but yeah, you know, that's, I, I, that's I like talking. to imagine that my insanity is like the uh, the prisoners on the Shutter Island, and uh, that's what we're dealing with. So, um, oh gosh, that's a great reference. Okay, yeah, uh, that's great. But um, yeah, no, last week was fun, uh, even though it was by myself. You guys got a shorter episode, which I'm sure for some of you were like, oh, thank God, it's not three hours. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, you know, there wasn't really much to talk about with Jim and I, man. So uh, it kind of worked out uh, like that, but. Yeah, uh, man, I got a busy week next week. Um, this past week, uh, I saw Zombieland Double Tap on Tuesday, and then I saw Honey Boy, um, but you guys won't get that review until like late 
November because um, they, you know, told us, you know, just I, I, I could post up a review if I wanted to right now. Um, but, you know, they say in the email, like, hey, it would be it would be useless. I yeah, mean, people can't useless. people can't see it for like a month and a half. Right. right. So, yeah. so yeah. basically, when you when you get these emails, they'll tell you an embargo date or just just out of common courage. They'll just be like, hey, could you just like hold it till a week release? Yeah, no problem. Like, for instance, I saw a lighthouse two weeks ago. I'm dropping my, my review of that um, on my YouTube channel like in a couple days because it opens this week finally. So, you know, it's just it's just common courtesy. But I did see Honey Boy. Um, and then our uh, – but if you guys want to know like my thoughts like super early, you can always just send me messages on Twitter and Facebook because I'll be more than happy to tell you. Uh, our listener, Brad, you know, um, you know he, he heard that I was seeing Honey Boy and he was just like, just tell me. On Wednesday night, I was like, okay, you got it. So um, – I am no stranger to that, so just uh, if you ever want to know anything early, um, as soon as I see it, I have no problem with telling you, but uh, yeah, so I did that Wednesday. This coming week, Joel, I haven't had a week this busy in a long time. Um, uh, I got four movies <laughs> next week. It's insane. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's not like uh, you know high-profile movies that are going to hit back-to-back. They're like movies I don't think anyone's ever heard of Uh and then kind of smaller affair, but uh, on Monday, I'm seeing the current war director's mm. cut, which is what that's officially called now. Um, yeah, because that's the one that was caught up in the Weinstein shutdown, right? right? It, it, yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, it is called the director's cut, so I have to refer to it as. So I'm seeing that Monday. I'm seeing Black and Blue on Tuesday. I'm seeing the report on Wednesday. Ooh. And then I got uh, an A24 link, and you know Joel responded to that one too with the kill team that, you know, we can drop down Thursday. So I got something happening every single day next week, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, I, I love that. Um, so yeah, busy, busy, busy. And then, uh, I got the Ford V Ferrari screening lockdown. I got uncut gems lockdown in November. Uh, I'm going to have to miss uh, the 1917 screening cause I'll be gone. Uh, so I was a little disappointed in that. Uh, and I had to skip another one cause I'll also be gone, but I, guys, I can't see everything, um, but that's that's okay. But this is what happens during Oscar season. They just kind of send them all out at once. And they're like, hey, we want you to kind of watch all these before a certain date so they can, you know, be in consideration when you're voting on your, like, top ten, you know, best picture picks, uh, actor, actress, all that stuff. They want to make sure you can watch all that early so you can, um, when you submit these things into your organization and they post out the final list, you know, it shows that you had a chance to watch everything, which is not the case all the time. There's still certain things that I won't get access to, but it is what it is. Um, I just, I take what I can get because there's Joel, there, there's going to be a certain point where someone's going to catch me and they're going to be like, this guy's in a critic, get this guy off the list. And then I'm, I'm hoping that uh, after all these years, someone finally wakes up. But until then I will appreciate any screening that I'm invited to. And uh, I will continue to do what I do. Uh, so yeah, that is next week. Um, I'm trying to think what else I did. Oh, uh, I, I'll save this story for last because I know uh, Joel's not going to really care. But uh, yeah, I did all regular TV shows. Um, I'm trying to think if I watched anything new. Oh, uh, I should note it. I should note that I also watched El Camino. Oh, nice, um, nice. Uh, yeah, so which you I, and I haven't I talked about that. that, and I brought it up last week on the show. Um, and I, I said it, it's like a good episode of the show because I've yeah. always ranged the show from either good to great. So, like, what did you think about it? Yeah, uh, we're in the same boat. Uh, it's a good episode. I don't know how necessary it is because I feel like there was an ambiguousness or ambiguity, whatever, 
to the to that shot of him driving away and crying and laughing in the in the in the finale itself of the of Breaking Bad. Uh, so I don't know if it was necessary to tie up that loose end, but if they had to, then they did a, they did a pretty good job of it. Um, and it's interesting. I don't know how much story they had here to actually justify a, a movie, which is why they fill it with a bunch of what are essentially deleted scenes from the, from the series, if you think about it. Right. Um, but it, it all comes down to Aaron Paul and he's great. And I think that Vince Gilligan really takes a, uh, I think like it's like I was saying about the trailer. Um, you know, it's a it's sort of a, a a little bit opened up in terms of the cinematic style because they're able you know they're making it with the with the uh, kind of at least with the budget of a movie rather than the budget of an episode so they're able to spend a little bit longer probably developing a lot of uh, the sets and and the the they're able to spend more on cameras so. They're able. It's sort of like with Downton Abbey. They were actually they actually said this on in interviews that they were able to do that on Downton Abbey, and it's the clearly the same thing here. So yeah, it looks great. Um, it moves along really nicely. I, I like that it's sort of a neo western of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty effective. I I wouldn't say that it's a great episode of the show. You're right. Um, I mean the 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 show when it was great was as good as just about any movie that's ever come out. I I would put you know, those last couple episodes are, are feature lengths, essentially. Right. I would put those, you know, if, the, if those were movies, I would certainly put them on the top ten of their years. Um, or the, of the year that, that, that they showed. Um, and this, I, I won't be doing that. But I, I, I do like it. I, I think it's quite good. Yeah, so, yeah, I, we're, I think, we're, we're in the same boat. I think you, you, myself, and Mark all, all had the same thoughts. It's like, yeah, it's a Pretty good much, movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, El Camino... there's, there's a lot of people who are kind of, I think, overreacting maybe because they recently did a, a rewatch and so did I. Right. But maybe they recently did a rewatch. Maybe they're a little bit, you know, overblowing just how good it is. I don't think like there's a lot of people who are who are giving the movie a little too much credit in terms of how much it's doing. There, there are people who think that it's really doing a lot. Narratively, I I don't think it is. I you it know it's really flashing back. That, that's not that's not a flaw. Of it's the not movie. a problem. It, it's not a yeah. problem. There there are some great episodes or some really good episodes that are like that where it's a lot of kind of half measures almost in terms of the plot. It's definitely not as bulky as the finale is. Uh, that one you know moves forward in time. That one has a ton of plots that it's trying to bring all together and and all of that uh, you know resolve and. This isn't trying to do that. What it's trying to do is resolve one plot thread. And in that way, it's fairly small. You know, it's two hours. It's a little long, but but it's but it's good. I, right. I, I think Vince it can Gilligan, be easily overblown, but it's, yeah. but it's quite so. And Vince Gilligan is so good at writing and directing. Like, it, we can overlook the fact that, hey, these scenes are, like, pretty much deleted scenes. It's like you said. It's, it's mm-hmm. one character's kind of plot thread. is a nest, All that stuff. All that goes out the window because if Vince Gilligan didn't really care and it was just kind of, you know, um, uh, you know what was delivered in kind of like a half measure or whatever, and we're like, uh, okay, fine, whatever, uh, it's it's just a whatever movie. But he takes so much care of it and it, the the characters and just the way he constructs scenes that you kind of get invested into it, even though it is kind of like a an aloof story. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's crucial that he was the one who wrote and directed this. I don't think that yeah. 
you know, even if he wrote it, I think that he needed to direct it too because he directed a couple of the episodes on the show. Um, He's still involved and, with Breaking Call Saul, so. Yeah, Better Call Saul. Or Better Call Saul. Uh, <laughs> Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul join forces with one title. Breaking Call Saul. Guys, it, uh, better, yeah. Better Call Bad. Better uh, Call Bad. <laughs> Guys, so, I feel like I've been hitting the head with like a softball or something. Uh, I'm just all <laughs> over the place. But um, but yeah, they didn't they didn't they didn't need to get you know even one of the directors of the episodes to to do this. I think it needed to be Gilligan. Yeah, and I think that 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 it was that it's him. It's it's him who makes it work. Yeah, I so yeah, I, I I'm glad that. It, listen, is the question of necessity uh, accurate? Yes, but yeah, <laughs> I. I well, listen, if, if, if we did not have this movie, we would be in the same emotional position as we are right now. Exactly. After the movie. And that's I, why I, I said in my review, it's like, do, yeah. do we, do we need this? No, but I'm cool that I'm glad that we got it. Cause I'm, I'm, uh, I'm selfish and I want anything breaking bad related. So, right. you know, <laughs> exactly. it's, it's whatever, but, uh, yeah, uh, I just wanted to mention one last thing and I'll get into the trailers, which are going to be short and sweet by the way, cause all three of them are terrible. Um, but, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yeah, Wait, hold on. Okay, well, okay, we'll probably I, disagree on one, I think, but anyway. <laughs> I, I, I know which one we're going to disagree on, but I, I, I don't care. I'm going to throw it in the flames. Um, okay. So the thing I did last night, and uh, I can hear the straining of Joel's eyes as he's about to roll it back into his head, but uh, uh, I, I had myself uh, some drinks last night by myself. Um, the missus went to a haunted house, and I decided to stay home and uh, have a little bit of beverages and uh, watch both Happy Death Day movies because I absolutely love that franchise, and I don't care what you say, and I, I mean, want... Uh, that's probably I, the only way you could watch them, so... I, oh, okay, you know. okay. Okay, I see how we're going to do this. All right, so Joel, uh, you were cut off from the the rest of the day. Um, it, it, it's a good franchise. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, you can fight me on that. Um, but no, it's... It, you know, it's... Uh, I, I forgot who said it on Twitter. I think it was uh, Brian Tallarico that said that you know, because he didn't personally care for the movies, but he said like you know Jessica Roth is just so good in the oh she's the lead yeah. role that it it kind of helps you along with the this train that is Happy Death Day, and I agree with that. Like you know, it's they're not perfect movies, but I have such a blast with them, and she commits to the whole Groundhog kind of redoing experience over and over again so well that I can overlook some of the. I, I will tell you, it's it's you know I'm not a fan of these movies. I think that in both cases, it is one of the widest, maybe this week actually, uh, 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 gives this some competition with Michelle Pfeiffer and Maleficent and Maleficent is bad. She's great in it. And I think that Jessica Roth is great in a couple of really bad movies. It's one of the widest like discrepancies between lead performance and movie they're in that I've seen. And she's, she's a gift. And yeah, the only thing I really liked her in, I've seen her in three things that I know of. The other thing is Forever My Girl from last year. That movie about um uh well, never mind. But anyway, bad movie, she was bad in it. It was not material that uh, apparently she believed in. She obviously commits to this. And yeah, she has a real future. Um but yeah. Anyway. Joel, uh, I have I, just, I have one question for you and then we can move on. Okay. What did Happy Death Day do to you? Did it make fun of you? Did it call you names? Did it hit you in the face? Like what did this movie personally do to it, your soul, sir? It hung me upside down and took my lunch money. Uh, oh, it my God. Just, okay. Uh, I, I'm not going to hear any more of this. Had, uh, it held my head in the toilet and flushed it so sir, many times. Sir, I will not allow your terrible rhetoric to be poisoned through this uh, podcast. Happy Death Day is a great uh, movie, and the sequel is even better. Uh, there you go. All right, so they're both on HBO if you want to check them out. So the trailers this week. Um, 
what what's going on? Um, I know one of them. It it is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen, and it makes total sense given the fact that Joel has seen the previous director's movie from this year. But uh, we'll get to that because that will be the last one. So I'm going to rank these in terms of uh, least uh, least worst. Uh, you know, kind of scale where it's like, yeah, least this awful. one's a, most awful. Yeah, most awful. So it's like. This one's offensive, but I'll let it pass or whatever. I'm just uh, I'm more curious about the financial situation. The second one, it's just like it's bad. I whatever. And then the third one is pretty atrocious. But the first one uh, dropped a day after we recorded uh, last week because that's how it typically does. Hollywood loves to play with us, and you know when Joel and I record these shows, they typically will drop trailers like like an hour after we get done recording or like a day after, and we're like. Like, we have to talk about this next week now, so uh, now the conversation has died about it. So, the first one is Doolittle. Uh, it dropped a day after I got done recording last week. This one drops on January 17th, 2020. That depresses me because between this and Bad Boys for Life, those are my birthday weekend movies. So, you, obviously, you know which one I'm going to go for. Uh, it's Doolittle. Um, so, Doolittle... Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, so... You guys know the story. We have a physician who uh, he discovers that he can talk to animals. Cool. Uh, so this one's from Universal, and it costs like I think like three hundred billion dollars. Uh, no, but it is pretty expensive. One hundred and seventy-five million dollars. Is that the actual number? That is the actual oh my number. God, that makes it's me... because like probably a hundred of it went to Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> right. Uh, it's <laughs> like listen, I want like. 80% of the budget, and they're like, uh, Mr. Downey, uh, our budget's like $100 million. Yes, I know. I want 80, 80 million of that. No, no, Mr. Downey, we have to pay other people. No, no, I want – so a uh, little, little joke there. But um, I – when I saw the trailer, I noticed a few things. One, the animation is definitely unpolished. They still have a few months to go, so I won't ding them too much for that. But if you're also going to make this trailer and approve these images, you need to make sure it look it looks at least decent. Um, I thought the the animals all looked off. It didn't. Um, they they don't gel well with the scene whatsoever. Robert Downey Jr. has like one line in it, so that kind of worries me. Like, why are you hiding his weird accent? Uh, I guess it, that might be why. Um, I don't think he fits this role whatsoever. Uh, when I first heard about this project, I'm like, uh, okay, it could work, I guess. Uh, I got to see it in context. I have seen it in context now, and I don't like it uh, whatsoever. You probably could have gotten someone way cheaper, and your uh, budget wouldn't have ballooned to this high, but. Yeah, I don't think he fits the role. The animals don't look right. And then the song choice. Why on earth are you doing a movie about a doctor that can talk to animals? Which, in the previous incarnation, we've had Eddie Murphy do these movies. It's like, there's a specific tone that you have to hit, right? Why on earth do these trailers have, like, these really depressing songs? And, like, these slow-down modern songs that's such a hot trend now to do in trailers... Why was that the approach to market this movie? This is a children's movie, and you made it seem like it was Edge of Tomorrow Part 2. And it's like, we that doesn't make any sense from a marketing standpoint. So it, I don't think it's a good trailer. There's a lot of problems with it. It's the least offensive. I'm more worried about Universal because they are going to lose so much money from this movie. Uh, this is Evan Almighty all over again. And it's kind of funny because it's like <laughs> animals, people, and all that stuff. 
Uh, so maybe not do any more movies like this. Um, yeah, I'm really worried that they're going to lose a crap ton of money on this movie. And it, they should be fine because they got Fast 9 coming out and I'm sure another Jurassic Park movie coming out you know, soon too. So they should be fine with their franchise movies to like help them save out of this hole that they're going to dig themselves in. But man, this was a poor... I don't know who greenlit this thing. It was a poor decision. So least offensive, it's whatever. I'm more worried about uh, the people that okayed this movie because they're going to get fired. Uh, the next trailer, I don't really care for because I didn't see the first one. So it is, I can't, I feel bad for like throwing as much heat on it as I'm about to, but I still don't like the trailer just because, once again, it's talking animated animals talking with people. I just, I, I can't, I can't get into it, man. It's it's Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, uh, April 3rd of next year. The plot is unknown, but it follows up um, after the first film. This one from the the trailer, you know, Peter Rabbit is kicked off the farm. He has to kind of go live by himself, so he's in the city. Jokes. He gets hit in the head with, like, an orange or an apple. You know, it was really – the yucks were there. Let me tell you, it was really hilarious. Um, I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of James Corden. Um, Yeah, I don't know what else to say. You know, it's, it's a movie for families. The first one did well, so I think this one will do well around the Easter season. So it doesn't matter, really matter what I say. If anyone out there that listens to this uh, podcast, you know, has kids or, you know, watches a lot of family movies, you're probably going to see this. So it doesn't really matter what I say as a almost 30 year old with no kids yet. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. So that it's whatever. Okay. Let's get into the one that, it was the first trailer I watched this week, by the way. When I was doing the, the notes, I was like looking through Collider, YouTube, just anything that came out this week that um, was a new trailer. Because the Bombshell trailer also dropped this week. We already talked about that. I don't need to talk about it anymore. But Joel, this was the first one that popped up. And I was like, oh no. Because I knew this movie was coming. And I knew who was the director. <laughs> and I was like, this... This is not going to end well because I knew your thoughts on the previous director's movies. And I was like, how worse can it get? This trailer is disgusting. And I've seen the trailer because I haven't seen the movie yet to the movie that you reviewed. I was like, doesn't look good. And, you know, I, I, I can I can forget about it within a week. But then when you reviewed it and you said it was one of the worst things you have seen. It was heinous. I was like, oh, no. So is that what this movie is going to be like? And let me tell you, the the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson might, it, just from a, tra- a trailer standpoint, it might be worse than The Haunting of Sharon Tate. And I haven't even seen the movie yet, but this was, I, I could not believe that th- this guy, uh, Daniel Farren's, uh, who did The Haunting of Sharon Tate from earlier this year, um, is allowed to make these movies. It's, I, I don't know, you you get that like dirty feeling when you watch it, and you're like, I gotta go take a shower afterwards. So, um, if you don't know who this is, this is the woman that was married to O.J. Simpson. It follows her death, and it, we get it from her point of view, and we see O.J. in this movie. We see... Uh, one of the Kardashians, the people that were involved very closely with the Simpsons. 
I, I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say. The uh, the actress that plays uh, Nicole Brown Simpson is Mina Suvari, which, you know, I was introduced to her at a young age, so I've been following her for most of my life because she was in American Pie, but I was embarrassed. I was like, why are these people involved with this movie? It just, everything about it is just so distasteful. I, Joel, help me out. What, why on earth does this <laughs> man need to exploit these tragedies like this i have no answers i i it's yeah haunting of sharon tate is one of the worst movies i've seen this year um it's bad and um so does this one i haven't seen this trailer but does this one take any sort of a supernatural approach to it because that's what that's what the haunting of sharon tate did basically the plot and I don't, I don't think it does, and I think that's why I found it more disgusting than Sharon Tate because it's actually just playing it as like, wow, someone From chasing after, yeah, someone chasing after, her, and then we just see a bunch of people die. Wow. Okay, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah. Um. So the haunting of Sharon Tate was different. Um. That one had Hilary Duff in it, and basically it was about, um, Sharon Tate. In the past, like I think in the three days or so before she was killed, she's visited by visions of Charles Manson uh, and uh, killing her. She, and in fact, basically, um, one of those visions is just every single detail of the murder. And so Farron's just recreates the murder. Um, and then it ends with a bit of revisionism, let's just say. And it was bad, but it's the bad kind of revisionism. It's really, really cheap and exploitative. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could do something worse and that's just dramatically recreate the, the murder, um, for no reason. I, obviously, I don't know if this is, that's what this does. We haven't seen it yet, but yeah, that's not so good. That's not great. It, it, um, was, it was rough. I, I was like, there's nothing that's going to top the Doolittle trailer. And I was like, this makes Doolittle look like a golden child where like it has done nothing wrong in society and it's doing just fine. And when you watch stuff like this, you realize that there's people out there running around and making movies like this, where at least with like the haunting of Sharon Tate, if you wanted to to defend this guy, you could at least say like, Oh, he revised history, took it in a supernatural horror approach. Yeah, yeah, it's there disgusting, is, I mean, but you can say at least distance there. Yeah, right. You can say that it's disgusting and that's very warranted. But at least like he changed it up just a little bit to where like it's it's not as bad. This is just a, a retelling, and I'm like, what hmm. what is the point of this? And like everything about it just looked like a cheap Lifetime movie, and I'm like, wow. why why was this made? What now, was I, the point? I have to ask. Did you did you skip a trailer? Uh, which one did I skip? Jungle Cruise? Oh, no, I talked about that last week. Oh, you did? Oh, yes. okay. I couldn't remember if you talked about that last week or not. Yes, sir. Okay, never mind. I, I See, that's the one that I thought that you that we were going to disagree on, because I oh. forgot that you covered it last week. No, no, I like that I trailer said, a lot. Yeah, I said I liked it. I said it reminded me okay. of, uh, like, The Mummy. Like, just yeah, a yeah, really yeah. kind of fun adventure movie. For some reason, I just, I, I forgot. Um, okay, cool, yeah. Uh, pretty much, I've seen the other two trailers just because of being in theaters i've decided to basically listeners i've decided to relax my whole don't watch trailers thing if i'm in a movie theater and i see it then i'm fine and and i'll talk about it 
Um, I'm not going to seek them out. I'm not going to go watch something if it drops unless it's like Star Wars or whatever, or one of my more anticipated like, um, uh, well, like Star Wars. Uh, but I did see the other trailers because uh, Doolittle played in front of Maleficent. Yeah, Maleficent, and uh, Peter Rabbit played in front of the Adams Family. Um, yeah, pretty much I agree with what you said on them. I, you know, Peter Rabbit was fine for what it was. It was okay. Um, it was way better than it needed to be. It, it also still wasn't very good. So I, I don't have much interest in this one. Um, I feel, I feel bad that, kind of a... uh, that Donald Gleason signed that contract, man. Cause like, uh, yeah, uh, he looks, he looks to be in pain. <laughs> like in uh, physical pain. And also it's a, kind of a stupid title. Uh, yeah. The Peter runaway? Rabbit to the runaway. Why not just Peter <laughs> Rabbit Two? like just keep it that. I don't know. Whatever. The runaway is just a weirdly kind of like too sincere sounds like an album cover yeah (laughs) so then um do little i mean the eddie murphy movies were no great shakes but this just this looks unnecessary to me um it just looks like a a chance to throw money at something they'll never make back and january 17th as a release date this thing is gonna completely bomb um I don't know. It doesn't look it doesn't look convincing. Downey, you know, he can he can pull out great accents. I don't know what he's doing in that trailer. <laughs> um and then oh yeah, and then the bombshell trailer. Um I I guess I should comment. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did I did click on the link and I went to cuz I was curious. Um any footage of uh, Charlize Theron playing um, Megan Kelly, and I was just going to see because what I'd heard is basically she, in order to get the voice right, actually strained her vocal cords and couldn't speak for three weeks um, during the process of making this movie, which is interesting. I don't know how they, I don't know what they did for three weeks, but, um, but yeah, it's it's uncanny. Uh, it's uncanny. So I, I just wanted to comment on that. Not the whole trailer because I didn't watch it, but that particular part of the trailer I did I did catch a glimpse of. And I'm telling you, the, the, the fact that the same actor play, who played Eileen Warnos in Monster is playing Megan Kelly in this movie and do, do is unrecognizable think... in both roles as herself – is incredible. Well, and that's a great segue to my question. Do you think we're looking at another situation like Vice where this is going to sweep the makeup and hairstyling? It could very well do that. It's the same person. Uh, oh, the nice. Guy okay. who, it's the guy who came out of um, – or no, wait a minute. I don't know if he did – I think he did Darkest Hour, not not Vice. But um, it was the person who came out of retirement to do Darkest Hour. That's right. And I don't know if he did – I don't think he did the same thing for Vice. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But I think that he – but I'm pretty sure he did this uh, – uh, what's his name? Um, um, I forgot his name. But Kent, something – he's a Japanese guy who did – who who did – who has done like makeup over the years. He did makeup for Norbit. Um, then he did it for, for Darkest Hour. I think that in fact he went into retirement after Norbit and then he came back and did – the the stuff for um for Winston Churchill and Darkest Hour all the all kind of the the skin flab you know under the, anyway 
he made new he made like new technology or something like that to do that movie. Anyway, and he did it here too. Um, and yeah, it could very well do that because it is uncanny. I mean, there's there's maybe a little bit a little bit of Charlize in there. There, I I don't know if they quite got the nose the bridge of the nose right. Um, it's not it's it's more Charlize than Megan, but you know there. But in every other way, it is uncanny how much she looks like Megan Kelly and sounds like her. Uh, there's a there's a different vocal quality to Megan Kelly's voice than to Charlize Theron's voice, and that she was able to recreate that and not sound like Charlize Theron is pretty is pretty impressive. Um, and it very much reminds me of, uh, you know, Christian Bale and uh, as uh, Dick Cheney and Gary Oldman as as Winston Churchill. I mean, it's it's definitely a transformative role in many ways. And she did the same thing as Eileen Warnos. If you if if anybody out there has not seen Monster, seek that movie out because she she is she is uncanny. She looks exactly like her because of some, uh, she, she gained some weight and also some prosthetics, but she also sounds exactly like Eileen Warnos did right down to every single inflection. It's one of the most uncanny voice transformations I've heard. Um, yeah, great actress. And, um, yeah. So anyway, that's all my thoughts. <laughs> Do little Peter rabbit, both unnecessary. Uh, just completely, just completely unnecessary. I'll see them. But, uh, you know, uh, I'll probably – well, I'll probably see Peter Rabbit. I'm definitely seeing Doolittle just because it's so big. And it's Robert Downey Jr.'s first kind of post, you know, Tony Stark role. So it's going to be interesting to see him uh, him take that on. But, yeah, totally not uh, not necessary <laughs> at all. All right, folks, let's get into some news. Um, all right, so this first bit of news is the weirdest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. I would build up to it, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to go straight into it, uh, and that is the fact that Mattel is going to be bringing a – well, people have been calling it live action. This thing has always been live action, but a big screen Barney and Friends movie uh, to the big screen – and, of course, Barney and Friends, it's sort of like Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, uh, skews a little bit younger than that. It's had a movie come out already in theaters. That was uh, 1998's Barney's Great Adventure, which didn't do very well at the box office. It only made $12 million. $12 million. Um, I think it probably made its budget back, but in terms of what they were probably aiming for, it was it was a bit of an underperformer. So, of course, you know, it's probably a matter of time before they brought this back to the big screen, and they are doing it. The weird part comes with who is producing it and the and the the approach that they're taking to the character. So I'm going to read the statement first, okay? I'm not going to reveal who said it until after I've said the statement. This is the statement made by the person brought in to produce this movie. Barney was a ubiquitous figure in many of our childhoods. Then he disappeared into the shadows left misunderstood. We're excited to explore this compelling modern-day hero and see if his message of I love you, you love me can stand the test of time. So this is fascinating for many reasons. I think that I think that this person is right. I think that we've all kind of – or not all of us, but most of us kind of have you know, left it off to the wayside. Um, I know that – He's. I, I don't think that Barney's very prevalent. Is he even like a show <laughs> anymore? I don't think he is. So, 
anyway, it's a weird, it's an interesting approach. It's certainly interesting to take this and, and modernize it to see if his message stands the test of time. I, I'm suddenly um, imagining some like grim, dark, you know, origin story or something, Joker with, with Barney in it. Uh, but, but the person brought in to, to produce this is probably the least likely person I, you'd, you'd think of. I mean, it obviously reveals a lot of things about him. Uh, clearly, he was a Barney fan. Clearly, he wants this to come back. And it's just really interesting uh, that that he's the one that, that that has been chosen or has has chosen to do this. And it is Daniel Kaluuya. Um, <laughs> yes, the star of Get Out, the co-star of Black Panther, co-star of Widows, the upcoming Queen and Slim is producing a Barney movie and I am I am sure that I'm living in real life I'm sure um this is of course one of the many Mattel properties apparently going to be made into movies we have the Masters of the Universe movie coming out we have Barbie from uh, potentially Greta Gerwig with Margot Robbie we've got Hot Wheels um that's in development been in development for a while I don't think anything's moved on that for a while but that one's apparently going to happen at some point, and this is the latest one that's been that's been um, announced. I don't know. I don't even know if I like or dislike this news. I I, I think it's certainly interesting. I just I, I cannot get my head around it. Um, I cannot. I, I I don't know how to get my head around this. So, anyway, moving on. Uh, we had some recasting on the Batman set. Uh, of course, Batman uh, is being made again by um, Matt Reeves. And it was previously reported. I don't. I did you talk about this? I can't remember if if either of us talked about this, but uh, it was previously reported that Jonah Hill was going to be the Riddler, uh, or at least going to be a role. But he dropped out, and now he's been quickly re uh, replaced with Paul Dano, who's going to be playing the Riddler. Um, this particular Riddler is uh, Riddler is Edward Nashton, not Edward Nigma, the character played by Jed, uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> in Batman and uh, Batman Forever, but uh, but Edward Nashton. So also we have Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon. I think I might have talked about that. Uh, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Um, that was also revealed this past week. And, of course, Robert Pattinson is going to be Batman. So very interesting. Lots of really good actors. I love Reeves as director. Very, uh, very good director, especially on the heels of War for the Planet of the Apes. And... Um, yeah, so I liked I liked that um, a lot. I think Dano, you know, the obvious sort of uh, precursor to, to a role like this is going to be his role in There Will Be Blood, where he had sort of this outward ex- exterior appearance of relative innocuousness. I don't know if there's another another noun for that. Um, and then there's some there's some edge to him. Um, especially as the story goes on, I think that that's probably at least what somebody watched whenever they whenever they were considering him, uh, or maybe like a, a sizzle reel of of his of his performance in that. Uh, it should be very interesting to see um, what they've got going on there. Um, but I like it a lot, and I like Kravitz a lot too. Um, it's very ironic because she had. Uh, auditioned for a role in The Dark Knight Rises and was told that she was too urban, which is vaguely racist, sounds vaguely racist to me, and now she's going to be in this. So 
good uh, kind of getting back at DC a little bit. Uh, the next one is pretty fun. I think that I actually talked about this movie a while ago. Um, sort of a Drop Dead Fred, R.I.P.D. crossover <laughs> kind of uh, vibe, at least. And that is a movie called Imaginary Friends. Uh, I believe that Ryan Reynolds has been attached to this for a while. And it's been seeking a director, and it's gotten a director in its co-star, uh, John Krasinski, who... Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. Is Krasinski really good director, but I've only seen one of his movies as a director. So I only know him as the director of A Quiet Place. I don't know how well he directs comedies uh, or anything other than horror movies because his previous movies haven't really gotten great responses. There was way back in 2010, brief interviews with Hideous Men, uh, his David Foster Wallace adaptation, and then uh, a few years ago, The Hollers, which I... I think is kind of a mixed reception to that. So I don't know how well this will do, but it's certainly interesting. Um, Reynolds will play the man with the gift of imaginary sight who has been tasked to recover discarded imaginary friends and prevent them from turning evil and threatening the world with their supernatural powers. It's pretty fun, pretty fun little premise. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how that turns out. Um, we'll see if it's, if it's worth, if it's worth checking out. Uh, okay, the next is Matrix 4 has added a couple people, including Neil Patrick Harris, I think in an unknown role. Um, there's also uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who was in Aquaman. He's going to be apparently playing a young Morpheus, possibly. But also Neil Patrick Harris, um, Jada Pinkett-Smith is coming back as Niobe. That should be interesting. Um, this is, of course, the one where only... Uh, Lana Wachowski is is helming it. Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss are back. I'm excited for this movie. Whatever. Um, also, this is my favorite bit of news of the week uh, by far. Okay, so I think I've talked before on this show about how special Pinocchio is to me as a movie. This it's the one that I probably watched the most of the uh, sort of the golden era of of Disney movies. Um, where like Aladdin is the one that I watched most from the Renaissance period in the nineties. This is the one that I watched the most. I wore out the VHS tape. Um, uh, I think I even had the black diamond version of it, which is really rare now. And, um, yeah, I love it. It's, it's so special to me. It's dark. It's, it's such a dark story. I mean, it's, it's a perfect kid's movie, but there's a lot of pretty frightening stuff in that movie. And it's the one that kind of, uh, Help me to accept kind of darker, darker kids movies. It's the one that led me into watching stuff, you know, like the witches and, and, um, and a little bit more grown up stuff because there's, there's a lot of freaky imagery in, in Pinocchio, lots of, uh, very, uh, just the premise of it. The fact that he has to go inside a whale, um, where his, his owner might very well have died. And anyway, it's, it's a creepy movie. And Robert Zemeckis has now been tasked to um, uh, replace Paul King to direct the live-action version for Disney. Uh, Paul King was the director of Paddington. I was also excited for it, uh, just generally excited for it, just because of that involvement. Very interesting. Um, but I think that Zemeckis is a good is a good pick too. I, I think that he has a real eye for handling visual effects in a really interesting way. 
he's kind of made that his thing over the course of his career. He has a real eye for uh, for using them for the purposes of of uh, serving the story rather than the other way around. And I think that that's important in a movie like this. So really, really excited. Obviously, it's still produced by David Heyman. Also produced. Um, uh, oh no, he departed it too. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's going to be made. I'm more excited about this than I am about pretty much any other live action Disney remake that's coming out because I think that there's some inherent qualities in the storytelling that you could really do right now. They've tried this before many times. Uh, they tried it with Roberto Benigni. They tried it with Martin Landau. Um, I'm sure that there's a couple of, (laughs) a couple of other attempts. All of them went awry. Uh, just because they were trying to use, and this is, this is where I'm going to get into some, some controversial territory. I don't think that you can do this movie with practical effects. I think that they have to use CGI if they're going to do something um, live action. I know that that is like heresy to, to a lot of people, but I think that there's too much going on visually for you to do this with anything but CGI. Um, and so I think that the right person to do that is Robert Zemeckis. So I'm looking forward to this more than pretty much any other, even Mulan. I'm looking forward to it more than that um, because even if they do the same thing, I think that there's some inherent qualities in the original animated movie that could cross over. And uh, so we won't get be getting into some of the territory that Aladdin and Lion King did where uh, some of that, that charm is lost by bringing it to live action. I think that there's there's just something about the story that that you could do live action. It's, it's more about the characters than than about the spectacle and uh yeah so i like this um chase i'll let you i'll let you go on uh and comment on all of this but but my favorite bit of news is by far robert zemeckis directing pinocchio so there you go yeah that's uh man yeah that's a that's a heck of a slate here so with the daniel uh kaluuya thing uh it is weird on its surface because you're like this is what you want to put your name on this is what you want to produce and then when you look them up it makes a whole lot of sense now if you are born in a certain year i usually calculate like the year previous to me and the year after me within that two you know uh two to three year age gap are the people that i grew up with like that these were the the generation that has has grown up um and so Daniel's birthday is February 24th, 1989, so he is around Joel and I's age. That makes perfect sense to me because he grew up with Barney just like we did. Now, I wasn't like a religious Barney watcher, but I was aware of it as a child, um, and it was very influential when we were growing up, and maybe Barney in some weird way was something that really – touch Daniel's soul and maybe that this is what one of his favorite shows and he wants to kind of bring it back into the the forefront because of what Barney represents you know the good in people uh almost like a um a a animal version of Mr. Rogers in some ways and so maybe he wants to kind of incorporate that and so who knows we'll, we'll, we'll see um but it is interesting that he was willing to step up and be like yep I grew up with it, and yep, I have uh, uh, power and influence now in this industry. I want to produce this movie, and it's like, good for you, sir. Uh, so yeah, we'll, uh, we will see. Um, 
the Paul Dano thing as uh, the Riddler, that is awesome. Now, Joel brought up, you know, There Will Be Blood, and I can see um, someone maybe watching that movie and picking up on characteristics of that performance and also his uh, performance in Prisoners, um, where he's kind of... Yeah, I didn't think of that one. Yeah, right. that's a really good point. And so I think if you combine both of those type of performances, I think you can get a really good Riddler because in There Will Be Blood, he's a little bit more tempered for sure, but he is mysterious. He he kind of has that, you know, like what is he going to do next, you know, kind of anticipation to his character. And then in Prisoners, he almost is like a mix of like Riddler and Joker, but not as manic. Um, but he is a very sick individual in that movie, and he has these evil kind of tendencies, but you don't expect it because it's Paul Dano, and he doesn't look like an evil person. But when he starts you know, spewing out some of the stuff that he says in Prisoners, it's pretty haunting. So I think if you look at both of those kind of characters and performances, I think it's a great mixture. And so kind of projecting that into a Riddler role, yeah, sign me up. Uh, Zoe Kravitz is... Um, Catwoman, great. Uh, I, I've always been a fan of her, and I think some of her best work has been on uh, Big Little Lies, um, the HBO show. So, yeah, it makes sense to me. You hire great people for great roles, and that's awesome. I, and I'm trying to picture all three of them um, in a scene together with you know uh, them two and Robert Pattinson. Uh, and, you know, Jeffrey Wright's going to be doing Detective Gordon, so it's like. This is starting to shape up to be a cast that you would never expect to be in any Batman movie whatsoever. But when it starts kind of forming together, you're like, okay, okay, I can see where they're they're going with it. And I, I, I like this direction that they're taking it. So, yeah, great. I don't know what else to say. Great news. I can't wait to see it. Um, the Ryan Reynolds and John uh, Krasinski thing is fantastic because we just got done with our um, – rewatch of the office uh the missus likes to watch it you know every couple years um it's one of her favorites so i don't mind it because i i love the show um and so what i've what i've missed is john's comedic abilities to be on screen or television once again uh he's he's killing it right now in the directing game he's done a lot of dramas and you know he did his horror breakout movie with the quiet place he just got done filming the sequel to that, so I, I want to see him jump back into comedy. That's what we—that's what we've all kind of known him for. Uh, I'm glad that he's ventured off into other stuff, and you know, it seems to be working in some movies. Um, but it will be nice to see him go back to his his roots and like what we we kind of know him as. Um, and working with Ryan Reynolds, uh, thinking about his comedic abilities and John's comedic abilities—that's perfect. They both have a similar style for sure. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, uh, John will direct these characters, because if you think about it, uh, him and Ryan both have that kind of improv off the cuff, kind of fast comedic timing about them. And so you don't want to have two of the same people. So it'll be kind of curious to see who is like, who's the straight man, who's the kind of not wacky and insane person, but you know, kind of the the goofy one. And so, yeah, uh, them teaming up on something cool. Give it to me. Um, especially if it's about imaginary friends, 
awesome. And I think it will be, yeah, I think it will be the first full blow, blown out comedy that he's directed thus far in his uh, his directing career, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, he's done a lot of, like, dramas and stuff that obviously have, like, some comedic backbone to it, but full-out, like, comedy-comedy, yeah, I think this is his uh, first one, so it's awesome. Um, Neil Patrick Harris <laughs> in Matrix 4. When I when I talked about uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II last week, I was like, cool, as a young Morpheus, that makes sense. They kind of look similar, and I've enjoyed his presence um uh, in movies and stuff, whether it be Aquaman or the Black Mirror episode, I like him. So, you know, him joining it makes sense. The Neil Patrick Harris thing is throwing me for a loop. I'm like, what is this? Um, and and uh, I, I dig it because, you know, Neil has shown us that he is a versatile actor. He's not just Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. Like, he, he has range. And, you know, I've watched all three seasons of – um, a series of unfortunate events where he plays um, uh, Olaf, and he's he's really great on that show. And yes, it's got comedy to it, but there is a sinister kind of motive that Olaf always has, and so he's terrifying in that role. And that's Neil Patrick Harris. He, I thought he was he good. Was, he was also in Gone Girl. Yeah, he was in Gone Girl. He had a, a, yeah. a nice little role in that where he had probably one of the most graphic deaths. I've ever seen in a David Fincher movie, and that's saying a lot. Um, the the spider kill, as I like to call it. Um, yeah, so he he has range, and so putting him in a Matrix movie now, <laughs> this is awesome. Like, uh, I I hope that he he shows people that he is more, because uh, I know a lot of people haven't seen him. It, probably beyond uh, you know How I Met Your Mother, so this would be a great kind of more blockbuster showcase that he he can do it because. I think Matrix 4 post the show is probably the biggest thing that he's ever he's been attached to so far. So, yeah, cool for him and then Jay Pinkett Smith coming back. Yeah, if you want to start bringing back uh, other people from the franchise and I have no issue with that. Um the Robert Zemeckis thing is 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 interesting because our friend Brian, we have a group text chain when he when he told us about it. I immediately thought, like, this could work. Uh, I think Zemeckis has a he has a wonderful eye for fantasy and kind of like stuff that feels like fairy tales almost, but can also kind of ground them in some type of realism. That's what he's best at. Whether you look at Flight uh, or The Walk or even Allied, uh, Welcome to Marwin, there he has a, a sp- specific kind of style for fantasy and i think when you're dealing with a a wooden puppet that comes to life it kind of makes sense that he would you know be attached to this project i'm more worried about his career (laughs) because this man is like on thin ice right now um after he did his kind of like mocap experimentation with like polar express and beowulf people were like all right, Zemeckis is done, and then A Christmas Carol comes out, and it, it's still mocap, and it does pretty well. And then he kind of he kind of goes off the wayside for a little bit, and then he comes back strong with Flight. That was good, garnered a lot of nominations, and I think it did. I think it did okay at the box. It did okay to good. It wasn't like a, a smash hit, 
Uh, the Walk, I don't think, did very well. Ally didn't do very well. Welcome to Marwin didn't do well, very well. And it also got blasted from people everywhere. So I'm like, I he's got to be rolling Emmerich these pitches and meetings. I don't know how he, <laughs> he gets jobs because I like Zemeckis. And I even like modern Zemeckis to a point where it frustrates me that people don't see his, his movies nowadays. But it, they're financial flops. Like he's losing studios lots of money, so I, it's it's got to be because he's he's um he's like he's got the Clint Eastwood factor where it's like, he, listen, he's been in the business for so long, he's got so much respect, and uh, people love him and they want to work with him regardless if if it's expensive or not because he's he's a legend, and so, uh, yeah, I I worry that if. I mean, I think it's going to do well because it's Pinocchio, and maybe this could be the softball financial hit that he needs, but he's got to have a win, Joel. It just frustrates me that he's kind of like just stringing along because if he has another flop, I fear that he's never going to work again. And so I I feel like two things happened. So one, I think that he kind of tested people's patience with the um, the mocap animated movies he made, um, although I, I like two of them a lot, uh, The Polar Express and A Christmas Carol. I don't know what Beowulf was. I'll just admit, admit that. But Be- Beowulf um, was something. I'll tell you that it was something. <laughs> but uh, but I don't think he. I don't think he should have been crapped on for that. And also there was the sort of the massive kind of critical uh, reconsideration of Force Gump, which is now seen as backwards. And anyway, so I think that, that that there is a that there are a lot of people who just their their patience has been tested by his movies. Maybe he hasn't directed something that widely appealed to people in a while. I'm not sure, but yeah, he has kind of gone down the slopes. I think that this will still, I think this will still kill because I mean, we've seen Aladdin uh, become a huge hit, even though it's really not that well liked. Uh, and that's just, and that's not just revisionism. I, I'm pretty sure it's not well liked. And then Lion King, people like, and so that that made a whole lot of money. Um, I think that this will still make a lot of money, uh, but I will say I. Th- I think that probably a better comparison point might be Maleficent. Um, I don't know why I'm saying that. I think that there's something there's something about how I don't know if it's going to be a straight remake. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I really hope it's a huge hit. Um, but yeah, you are onto something though. He does need one. <laughs> he needs one to be able to kind of, unless he's just still rolling in Back to the Future money. And who framed Roger Rabbit money? I don't know how well those did um, relative to their their year, the, their years that they came out. But um, I know Forrest Gump did amazing. I can't I, I, I can't imagine why he would have residuals from that anymore. But you know, it could be that he does. Um, yeah, he needs a big hit. He needs a big hit. Something something that gets him like immediate uh sort of the creden- his credentials aren't so dismissed anymore um what they need to do is they need to pimp out his more beloved movies or something you know on on the trailer for this they need to say i don't know the polar express from the director of the polar express and back to the future or something like that something to get people excited because so the way the way i've seen the marketing for his movies kind of play out uh ever since flight is that they'll typically go with the the usual Back to the Future, which is pretty. I mean, it's standard for for marketing. If this is the guy that was involved with that, you want to do that. 
They they typically do Back to the Future, um, Forrest Gump, and Castaway. Those are the three okay. kind of movies that they throw at audiences to make you go, hey, it's this guy that's directing it. If they start throwing out Polar Express and Beowulf, then the marketing team doesn't that's give a crap true. about them. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. And and so I guess it just it just you know would they do Castaway for this kids movie? Right, you know, that's kind of and, the, the tricky thing about it because it's like with uh, Aladdin, you you don't want to put from the director of Snatched into Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels because yeah. you're, you're catering to the wrong audience. So, and unfortunately, Guy Ritchie and, and, and the, uh, the <laughs> to go off topic for a second, the honest trailer of Aladdin did that. <laughs> they they opened it up with from the director of Snatched and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking right, Barrels. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like you know, the the only like quote unquote kids movie that, that guy has ever done that even comes close is the Sherlock movies, and those are more teenage friendly. Yeah. So it's like I, I don't know how they're going to market the Pinocchio movie. Like, do you put like from the director of Welcome to Marwin and The Walk because those are like I. I don't know. Like the the last PG movie that he did was The Walk, but like not a lot of people saw that. So I don't I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't know how they're going to market this thing. But yeah, it's strange. Um, it's... yeah, but uh, regardless, I, I I kind of agree with you. This is my uh, this is my favorite bit of news. I it, Zemeckis is one of these uh, directors um, that can make whatever he wants, and I'm going to watch it. I might not like be okay with some of them or just kind of feel a little neutral on, but I love it anytime when he wants to throw anything at us. Uh, ever since I'm telling you, I, my, my mind was blown when I saw a flight. Cause I was like, wow, Zemeckis hasn't really done he had, The last live action thing he did was Castaway, And, you know, flight was just so many years later. And so I'm like, man, continue to do stuff like this. And, you know, the Watt came out. I love that. And I thought Allied was fine, but there were still, technical merit to it like he's just so good at what he does but it just frustrates me because people don't see his movies and i don't i don't know what it is i don't know what is not appealing to people to uh take a risk on something like flight or the walk or allied or whatever it's just it's just not him with people yeah i that's why i feel like probably the main thing that, that happened is that he went off on his animated projects and then once you got back around to flight, it was the one of the weirdest big wide releases I've ever seen. <laughs> like the just the things that it that it um uh that it taught that it like confronted. It was just strange to see a guy go from a Christmas Carol to that. And so by the time people got around to it, they were kind of you know, like, oh, it's the guy who did the Polar Express, and, and we got tired of that by the time the a Christmas Carol came out. So, eh, whatever. I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to, uh, to see this. And then that just kind of, you know, happened with the walk, and then, and then Allied, and then Welcome to Marwin. And hopefully the Witches bounces back. That's his next project. That's the one that he's currently doing. Um, and I think that he's certainly the right person to do that. Um, I really hope that that, 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 helps him turn turn around quite a bit um but yeah we'll we'll see what happens i i just yeah i'm nervous i'm nervous about it all right guys that's the news that's all of it so we're going to be moving on to our main review and that would be of zombie land double tap now this is the 10 year in the making uh sequel 
I was about to say remake. We're talking about remakes. Uh, sequel to Zombieland from 2009. A genuinely clever and inventive action. I think that what did they call it? Was it, was that the one that they called the Rom Zomcom or something like that? Pretty sure that was it. Yeah, it was something uh, like that. Yeah, because there was the romantic aspect with um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone. Anyway, so it's interesting to look back on Zombieland now, uh, and I'll tell you why. So. Back when that movie came out, um, Jesse Eisenberg was was liked but not super popular. Same thing with Emma Stone. Neither of them had really super duper broken out. Now, Emma Stone had been in certainly been in stuff. Super bad Adventureland with no no that was Kristen Stewart. <laughs> Sorry, I confused them. Um, uh, she had been in stuff uh, that in the House Bunny. That's what I was thinking of, and. Um, you know, Jesse Eisenberg had certainly been in stuff like the squid and the whale and, and, um, and Adventureland, but neither of them had really broken out. So they were coming in with, uh, comparatively season, season veterans at the Oscars, uh, Woody Harrelson and yes, Abigail Breslin. Um, and this cast came together. It was, it was a lot of fun, very clever. Um, came from screenwriters Paul Wernick, Rhett Reese. This was the first really big thing that they did, and it, it helped them, you know, get jobs from the from there on out. Um, it's interesting to to look back on this because they went on to make a couple of superhero movies that kind of broke records. Meanwhile, the same year, and I always put these 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 pairs of people together. Um, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller also broke out with Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs that very same month. Um, and they went on to do the, like the Lego movie and, and a couple of R rated comedies as well. And anyway, very interesting to look back on that time because that was sort of the beginning for these two writers. Uh, since then, of course, you know, they broke out, uh, Jesse Eisenberg has been nominated for an Oscar. Uh, Emma Stone has been nominated for several and won an Oscar. So now we have this, this, you know, returning to the well here with this new kind of um, updated, you know, the sequel to the, to the, uh, to the first movie also set 10 years later. So it has been in real time for them too. Um, so the plot here is pretty simple. Basically as we catch up with this group, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character, Columbus and Emma Stone's character, Wichita um, are still dating She's kind of scared of commitment, though, so when he proposes marriage, she decides that she's just got to take a break. She's She runs off, and at the same time, Little Rock, uh, Abigail Breslin's character, feels that um, Tallahassee, played by Woody Harrelson, is a little bit being overprotective. They've they've kind of formed a, um, a father-daughter bond, and she feels that he's kind of being overbearing. So she is also Wichita's little sister, uh, actual little sister, and... They run off together. So Wichita comes back after they've parted, and the plot basically just follows them avoiding zombies as they go and find or, and, and find uh, Little Rock. And that's it. That's the plot. Um, they also come across some new characters. I'll get into those in a second. Um, that's part of my review. So, guys, I was excited. I think I made that clear on the show before. I really like Zombieland. It's right outside my top 10 of 2009. 2009. It's in my 11 through 20. For that year and uh, I think it's genuinely genuinely clever a blast just very visually uh, witty 
and had a lot of really great personalities. It was nice and raunchy. It was good R-rated comedy in that respect. Very vulgar, and, and I enjoyed that. Also very bloody and gory, so it, it took the um, sort of like Shaun of the Dead in that way, different kind of humor, but it took the, the gore part of it seriously. It really had a lot of strong gory violence, and I liked that. I, I liked that it was taking all of that seriously enough that it could have fun with with all of these, and, and I, I had a blast. So, of course, I was I was excited just because of various reasons. You know, all of these actors coming back after they've made it they've comparatively made it big or at least two of them have and uh the the team behind it including director rune fleischer in a certain way has has kind of gone on to make it big with uh, superhero properties so i was excited to see them all come back and unfortunately i am sad to report that i feel like this movie is a disappointment um it's not as it's not as terrible as some people are making it out to be some some people are saying that it's like one of the worst movies of the year it's definitely not down there but Unfortunately, I, it didn't work for me, and part of that has to do with the new characters that it introduces, but I will start out by saying that this movie has a really strong start. As we get back into this, these characters' personalities, as we get, begin to get used to them again, I think that the movie is at its strongest. There's a lot of really funny stuff early on, um, especially because the, the actors are all so game. Throughout the movie, they're all, they're all pretty strong. Um, I like Jesse Eisenberg a lot. I think that Emma Stone adds a few layers to her character that I didn't foresee. Uh, maybe I should have because she's now won an Oscar. She's obviously <laughs> she's obviously talented. She always has been. She's obviously grown in her talent since the, the first movie. And I think that she added some layers to her character. Woody Harrelson's having fun. I don't think he adds anything to what he did the last time. Abigail Breslin's obviously grown up to be now an adult. She's not just a teenager anymore. She has a lot of uh, stuff to work with, too, and uh, she does a good job. So all of the actors fit in really nicely, fit back in really nicely to their roles. And um, so these early segments of getting back into the groove of Jesse Eisenberg narrating the movie as Columbus, um, I think they lean into that a little heavily here. It's still still successful. Um, And it's a lot of fun to to get – also reintroduced to the whole zombie element because they've evolved a little bit. That's part of the plot uh, of the movie that there's a that there's a more aggressive zombie. They've they've survived enough to be able to label the zombies, and it's really funny how they do that. So like the dumb ones that just lumber forward and sometimes just kill themselves are called homers, <laughs> which is a, you know a bit of a uh, a Simpsons reference. They got. They call uh, the really smart ones that figure stuff out. Hawkings after Stephen Hawking. They got um, uh, ninjas, the ones that are really quiet, that provide sort of, I guess, the jump scare quality of their appearances. Um, ninjas. So, um, yeah, that's all really fun. I I was having a really good time with this movie for about half an hour. So, unfortunately, I feel like once it takes the turn of Wichita and, Li- and Little Rock leaving. The movie is kind of forced to open up its world just a little bit, um, which is what the previous movie did in reverse. It kind of closed in the world. As as this mad zombie disease kind of took over, um, the characters whittled down. We were able to see them in their element as, as just this group of four people, and I thought that that was really successful. That was that was the source of the, uh, the fun in that movie for me, and this movie kind of goes in the opposite direction. 
it opens up the world a little bit and it introduces new characters, but those new characters for me don't really add anything to the movie, especially the plot, which is so constrained. I, I feel like it would have been I would have been just enough to make this movie work had they mostly left alone. I mean, obviously you can have a couple of people come in, but but this movie just introduces too many for for no real purpose. So the first one that they encounter is Madison, who's this ditzy blonde played by Zoe Deutsch. And um, she's basically the, the joke of the character is that she's a ditzy blonde. But Deutsch's performance, I think, does a lot or at least tries its damnedest to do a lot to introduce something into this character who has nothing to her. And that is the fact that even though she's ditzy and has been just basically surviving by going in a freezer for this entire time, she is still she is still a person with feelings, and I think that the only way that we know that is through Deutsch's performance, which is pretty good. I a lot of people have been overblowing this performance. She's not in the movie a whole lot. Uh, there's not a lot for her to do, but she does give it her all, and I and I appreciate that. Uh, so that's probably the most successful, maybe the most successful new character. Um, there's also Rosario Dawson who shows up as Nevada. Uh, a tough as nails Elvis fan. She's the, uh, but her only real like reason for being here is to be a love interest for Tallahassee. Kind of lame. And then there's this one joke thing that really just ends way too early with uh, Thomas Middleditch and Luke Wilson who come in as kind of mirror reflections of Tallahassee and Columbus. And um, that isn't very successful. And then there's this other character, and I almost forgot about him until just now, um, Berkeley, a kind of a uh, hipster musician uh, who comes from the college. That's why his name is Berkeley. And um, he is kind of this hipster musician with pot. He becomes a love interest for Little Rock. And um, meanwhile, Madison becomes a love interest of sorts, kind of in an insulting way, for, um, for Columbus when Wichita takes off so weird to talk about a bunch of city names anyway uh <laughs> that's the gimmick of the movie they're all named after cities i think that it was wasn't it like in the first movie they decided that they would shed names or something like that um i don't know if that's ever spoken maybe maybe my memory is wrong but pretty sure that was the thing that they wouldn't talk about names they would give themselves names and those would be the cities that they came from um and that carries over into this movie so i think that these characters kind of uh they kind of halted the movie's progress for me in a way that it really didn't come back from. And by the time it reaches the finale, um, it's basically just a repeat of the first movie's finale, which it just set in a different place. So the first movie had a finale set in an amusement park. This one is in a hippie commune that, um, that uh, rejects weapons. And so they've got to, you know, obviously there's a little bit of a clever way of kind of, how are they going to defeat the uh, the zombies with these, especially these faster, stronger zombies, uh, which they call um, uh, I won't reveal what they call them, but they call them something really cool. One of the one of the better jokes in the movie, um, and I just feel like it's the same thing. I feel like this is the the first movie kind of reheated and just moving in reverse in a way that I feel like even though the zombies have evolved in this movie, the movie really hasn't done anything to evolve. Um, so the director here is Ruben Fleischer once again. You know he's gone on to to do Venom. That's probably the most uh, notable thing that he's directed. He's done some TV work like on Superstore, 
but um, that's the most – that's the thing that people will remember him for because nobody's going to remember him for 30 minutes or less for uh, Gangster Squad. Venom was a movie that made him a ton of money and um, gave him the leverage kind of to make this. I think that his control of tone here isn't as uh, isn't as good as it was in, in the first movie. Um, I do think that this movie looks good, and that's that's because – and this surprised me. This might surprise you, Chase. The cinematographer here is a guy named Chung Hoon Chung, and he shot It Chapter 1 – uh, not chapter two, I believe it's because he was directing this or uh, shooting this movie that he didn't do it chapter two, but he, he didn't do that one. He did it chapter one, which looked great. But for me, kind of the big nerd moment was realizing that this is the guy who shot The Handmaiden from a couple of years ago. Um, really, ta- really talented guy, and uh, it looks really good. It's going to be a movie that looks really good on 4K. I think it's a very crisp, clear image. There's some atmospheric shots here and there. Kind of in in some of the medium and close-ups kind of looks like a sitcom, but his photography of the action scenes I think is really impressive, especially because they bring back the slow-mo and it works a lot better here than in the first movie, and it worked really well in the first movie. Um, but I think that that that's really all this movie has going for it. There's there's some nice you know singular sequences. There's a really cool one take um, of them kind of. Um, I won't reveal what's what's going on in the scene, but it's basically trying to uh, to put down a couple of zombies, and uh, and in and, and in a house, let's just say, or a museum maybe, and uh, and it's a great scene. It's it's a great scene, but I think that this movie really just comes down to good single sequences that are at the service of a movie that just kind of is disappointing and irrelevant. I, I don't know who this movie's supposed to be for, except for fans of the first one. And I don't know if fans of the first one are going to be clamoring, you know, kind of uh, chomping at the bit to to see this. Um, and in and in terms of just how it how it works out, I I think that the movie's kind of underwhelming. So that's it. That's all I got. You know, you can talk about the performances all day. They're 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 serviceable. They service the the um, material really well. There's not really one to talk about. Um, that's particularly effective or anything the new characters come in they do fine the actors do fine um the old actors really slip in very comfortably throughout uh they certainly elevate the movie where it needs to be elevated but i don't know if it's enough and so yeah for me this is one of my maybe one of my bigger disappointments i'm giving Zombieland double tap a c that's that's what i'm gonna do it's i can't do any better or worse than that it's it's not bad but it doesn't really do anything that's of interest for me. I was, I was a little let down. So that is my review of Zombieland Double Tap. Let's see if Chase agrees or disagrees. Well, uh, you know, you guys, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever ex- expressed it on the show, but I, I love the first Zombieland. I remember seeing it in uh, what was it? Oklahoma when I visited some friends. In college, we went to this theater, and that's where I first saw it. And I, I haven't thought about, um, or haven't not thought about that experience just because it was. Um, it reminded me of when I saw Shaun of the Dead, which, by the way, I saw that in a theater by myself because uh, I, I forgot which time I picked, but I was the only one in there. Um, but I just enjoy myself. I love horror comedies. I love when you can kind of 
take it, reinvent it, repackage it into something else and just make it fresh and not make it seem like every other horror comedy out there because some of them are terrible. Um, you know, you can go the the straight route and just, you know, make it a full-on horror comedy and have no self-awareness. And there's a lot of them that have a lot of self-awareness and a lot of meta humor, uh, which this one kind of blends the best of both worlds. So it depends on how you do it, but um, I, I, I tend to love this weird little subgenre known as as horror comedy or as joel put it on, on how they marketed this it was the zom rom-com so um yeah i love the first one uh we rewatched it a couple days before the sequel just to get like a fresh uh perspective on it because i hadn't seen it in quite some time um so i know a lot of people uh out there including joel they're just a little lukewarm on it or you know even a little bit more dour on it i had fun with it um there are definite issues for sure, um, and I do think it's a step down from the first one. If you were to ask me, uh, erase one from existence, keep one of them, I'm going with the first one. Uh, but I will say that I had a fun time, nonetheless, because the the actors were committed uh, into their roles and their personalities were there, uh, as if this movie didn't skip a beat. And so I think that's partly the reason why I'm not, um, you know, ragging on it as much as. You know, Joel, Joel didn't like terror, but you know, uh, like other people or just whatever. I, I felt like for a movie that was ten years after the first one, I thought Ruben Fleischer, the writers to some degree, the actors, I thought everyone made a, a perfectly fine movie, um, to continue uh, after the first one because that that's hard to do. I mean, if you make any sequel. In general, even if it's like two years later, that's it's hard to capture the spirit, the tone, the charm, the quirkiness, the humor, um, the violence, everything about what made Zombieland so special. It's going to be hard to recapture that no matter what. And I think after doing it 10 years later, I thought everyone did a pretty serviceable job. And I thought, um, uh, you know, like Ruben Fleischer continuing the kind of like you know path that he he carved in the first one you know it just it, it it makes it a little bit better in my eyes than you know like in joel's eyes or other people so i still had a fun time with it and let me get through some of the 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 positives here and then i'll uh, kind of end on uh, negatives or you know uh missteps or whatever but reuben fleischer you know i i thought capturing the the energy from the first one in the kind of uh, overall feel, uh, I think he did a pretty good job in, uh, at, you know, just the, the way he, he shoots violence, the way he lets the, the actors riff, the way he makes the graphics loud and animated, everything about it has a certain type of, uh, charm to it. The movie itself is a, is, it's a personality. And I think Fleischer did a pretty good job, uh, portraying that because once again, that is hard to do. To jump to Warnick and Reese now, uh, just just uh, real quick, like what Joel did, it's been very interesting to see them progress <laughs> throughout their careers over the past ten years. Because I would say that Warnick and Reese are really good studio writers, and that's not a problem. Um, they they know what the studio wants, they deliver it to them, and they package it in a way where a lot of people enjoy it. This is a business, and I think if you hire someone like a Warnick or Reese, you're bound to uh, have a hit on your hands. And you know their track record is not perfect, um, 
but they tend to make movies that mass audiences will enjoy. So it's been quite fun to see them go from like Zombieland to the Deadpool movies to even do something as serious and uh, microscopic as like Life, <laughs> which was a movie I didn't expect them to uh, write, but they did it, and I, you know, I enjoyed myself for what that one was. But it's been it's been fun to see their career kind of grow, but them kind of coming back to the sequel. Um, I, I'm glad that they 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 made this because it's it's almost kind of like an homage to what their what started their career, but I I get like I say I get worried when when sequels are made in general because we we do have a lot of um uh a lot of expectation and a lot of hype from you know like what we've seen in the previous one, but what I really like about Warnick and Reese is that I've heard them in interviews before. And they have stated that they would never write a sequel unless they have a good story. And that was the case for like Deadpool 2, for instance, where I actually thought that one was better than the first one. Um, and so for this one, the story itself, I'm actually I'm actually good with. Uh, I actually like the fact that it, it plays out in real time. These characters progress to a point uh, where I would think they would progress to, considering where we left off in the first one. You know, uh, uh, Columbus and Wichita are progressing their relationship uh, and they're, you know, scared of commitment issues and they, you know, Columbus wants to get married and everything. That makes total sense for their character. Uh, You know, with Tallahassee being like the overprotective fatherly figure to Little Rock, like that makes sense. The fact that Little Rock feels isolated and she wants to be around people her own age and so she kind of ventures off and runs away. That makes sense. So like, it, it it I'm glad they took care of these characters because they could have easily just made this into a a slapstick movie and just you know coasted with the personality and the comedic quips of these characters and just called it a day. But I'm glad they actually took care of them and progressed them to stages in their their lives in this story that makes sense. I like the fact that the world building um, expanded a little bit. I know Joel and I might differ on that. I like the fact that there were uh, other people introduced, and there's there's a commune uh, that was you know down the road. Uh, you know, people they they encounter uh, the fact that the zombies are classified now in se- separate categories with like the dumb ones, uh, the standard ones and then the ones that can actually dodge bullets i thought that was cool to add on the the world building yeah could you argue that they don't really do a lot with it sure uh i'm not gonna argue or argue with you on that but i like the fact it was just a nice little touch it didn't really um bother me that it wasn't like explored or whatever it was just like hey if you're gonna like build upon this zombie land uh, i would like to see a little bit more a little bit more to it and you know it's not a lot but it's like an extra little nugget to, to get with your experience. That was cool. My issue with the script, and I don't know if it's because Fleischer let them riff too much or if this was the actual dialogue that was on the page, but I felt the comedy actually suffered in this movie. I did feel like there was a lot of, a lot of try hard going on, a lot of people really leaning on the obvious joke and it just doesn't hit most of the time uh the split i would say like the ratio i would go with is maybe like a 70 30 split where i thought 70 percent of the time it didn't really work 30 percent of the time there was a couple of jokes that caught me off guard and actually worked but i don't know it just it felt really flat really felt stale and uh 
delivery, um, jokes in general. It just there was just something about it that didn't have the same comedy magic as the first one. Now, what's really weird about the sequel is that there's a lot of old jokes, a lot of jokes made from the first one, and they kind of pl- they kind of lean into that a little too hard for sure. They also make fun of it. <laughs> so this one, they've definitely learned from their Deadpool days because this one's even more meta than the first one, and I don't know if that was the correct route to go. It just, once again, it didn't, it didn't flow well for me uh, in that regard. So I would say the biggest issue with this movie in general is the comedy, which is sad because it's supposed to be a horror comedy. Um, and I'll, and I'll tell you what there, I agree with you. And there's a, there's a scene that kind of shows this to for me. So you'll allow me to go off on a tangent real fast. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So there's a scene here where they're all in a car and Madison is with them. The Zoe Deutsch character. And she starts kind of going off on how there should be ride sharing. There should be a ride sharing company. Like you, you pay for a ride you pay for a stranger to, to drive you somewhere. And all the time. So of course, obviously the, (laughs) the thing here is kind of built in with a bit of dramatic irony almost because they are living in a 2019 that's been overrun by a zombie apocalypse. And so they haven't lived in our world because obviously um, you know, the first movie was set, I think, in the representative present, maybe slightly in the future. I'm not entirely sure, but, um, but of course they're, of course they're going to make a joke about something that we know is real now that they just haven't experienced because for them it's been a zombie apocalypse and they haven't, they haven't been able to experience it. So obviously they're going to do that. But here's the thing: I feel like. There was a perfect opportunity. Maybe there was some sort of contractual obligation that they couldn't do this. But there would have been a perfect opportunity to have the writers of Deadpool and Deadpool 2 and the director of Venom talk about how there should be a giant shared cinematic universe with superheroes. I think that there's a major missed opportunity for them to have have these characters who are so who are so sarcastic and and all of that. And so like observant of, of really like, I don't know, ironic things around them to talk about how one of the things that they would have missed is this giant MCU project. Because if of course the first movie was set kind of in 2009 or at least a couple of months in advance, 2010 at most, they would have only experienced Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. Iron Man two would never have come out. It would have never gone on to this, uh, you know this kind of um, this huge track with the MCU, and I'm just surprised that that Sony, which owns Venom, and which uh, uh, you know employed the writers of of Deadpool, I'm surprised that they didn't take an opportunity to comment on that because I think that that could have been an interesting conversation. We've seen in in this movie actually that they are able to reference popular culture they they mentioned the band portishead for whatever reason i feel like that was an ad lib but i'm just surprised that nobody ever thought that it was a good idea to make to have this whole scene of them just because of the fact that they have decided to make make fun of ride sharing companies and it was kind of an okay joke you know it was it was well it was well executed for what it was i'm just surprised that they didn't do that because that's what's one of the biggest cultural movements 
in in the entertainment industry industry since the first one came out. When the first one came out, there was no sign of this gigantic uh, cinematic project. No, nothing. Like there were maybe rumors, but nobody knew about it. Nobody knew it was going to happen. You know, it was kind of a pipe dream. We knew that we we'd seen the uh, the end credit scene in Iron Man. We've we'd seen the the tie into the Incredible Hulk, but that was it. The biggest thing happening at that point was really nothing. You know, the, the potential for X Men Origins movies. So I'm just surprised that they don't didn't go with that. That's something I think that they could have snuck in there. I think it would have been really clever for them to do that because everybody would have known that. Now, of course, everybody now knows ride sharing companies are are such a huge thing that you can't even have food delivered without Uber Eats being a thing. So obviously, there's a big there's a big uh, cultural impact with with Uber and Lyft and whatever the other one is. Um, yeah, sure, but they definitely should have gone down the route of commenting on something huge in popular culture. And what's the huge thing? Superhero movies. And what is its director? Did its director last do a superhero movie? What its what have its writers broken records for writing superhero movies? I think it would have been the perfect opportunity. And um, anyway, I'm just I'm just kind of uh, disappointed that they didn't go down that route and they instead went down this other route because I I don't know if they did if they had you know as clever humor as they as they should have. So I absolutely agree with you. It kind of falls flat in that regard. Right. Yeah. It, it was just so weird to watch it because, like, as I was watching it, I was realizing, like, behind the camera, like, Fleischer was doing his best to inject energy into uh, the, the scenes, whether it be, you know, the graphic violence, the way the zombies are killed, the way they're shot with that really awesome one take, with the way the, the graphics pop up. I'm like, I, I really, my brain is registering, like, I'm watching a Zombieland sequel. The comedy's just not hitting for me. I don't know if it's because I was, you know, this uh, I'm this curmudgeonly old man now. But like, I, I just I'm like I'm like Wernick and Reese. Like they're they're not like perfect all the time. But like this is this is not like their best work. This is not their best day in the office. So, um, yeah, I just I just thought the comedy just suffered a little bit and uh, really disappointing because I sat there going, "There's some really cool technical things going on in this movie," but I'm just not really enjoying it from a comedy standpoint because I know that Stone. Eisenberg, Harrelson, and Breslin are really funny in their own regard, um, but yeah, it just it just did not work. So that's probably my my main complaint. Um, but I I was fine with everything else uh, script wise. Uh, the performances, all four of them, great. Uh, the the main four. What I found interesting was the way the credits rolled out because it listed Harrelson, Stone, and Eisenberg. And then the title, and then Breslin was after that as if she was like a supporting uh, character. And I'm like, well, and she was kind of a co-lead. Yeah. So like she she had a lot of, I mean, she carries her own story. That's what was weird about it. I was like, why, why is she being listed as a, a supporting character? Uh, Yeah. It's so weird because I feel like the, the payment methods for this stuff are different. So in the marketing, She's obvious. She, I think she's third, right? It's like Harrelson, Eisenberg, Breslin, and Stone. Yeah, and I think they um, put they put Stone at the bottom because she's the only Oscar winner out of the four. Correct? Right, and yes. and there's also a there's a there's a um I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but on the show I think I've maybe told you, but there's a there's a negotiation for and credits and with credits. Yes. So uh, if you get an and credit, you're like paid the second most out of anybody on the cast there. 
uh, like after the first person listed listed. That's what that's uh, at least what I'm I'm led to believe. And with is like the third most or something like that in terms of the um, there's specific, you know, payments involving credits. So it's so weird, though, because she must not have been able to negotiate a pre-title mention in this movie. And I noticed it, too. I, I So they were there's this to set it up briefly. There's this tracking shot that covers all of the characters. Right. So we're like literally following and they they list Woody Harrelson. Then they come upon Jesse Eisenberg. They list him. I think. I'm pretty sure that's what happens. And then they come upon Emma Stone. And it says, and Emma Stone. But then, you know, they, they, they let it drag out just long enough that it covers all four of them, but it doesn't have all four of their names pop up. So <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And then they have the title. And then during just a regular action shot, they say Abigail Breslin, which is so weird to me. And... um yeah, I guess she just must not have been able to negotiate that. I don't know what the deal is there because she was able to negotiate it on posters and trailers and all of that. Like, it was strange to me that that was my only thought walking out of the movie with her performance. I was like, man, she really got screwed over in the title credits. I was just like, yeah. this is, it was wild. Um, but yeah, I just, I had to I had to mention that. I don't think anyone else has ever brought that up on any review, but uh, we had the platformer to do it, so I was going to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the core four are are, are good, but uh, like I said, I think the the comedy um, that they're spouting out of their mouths it could definitely be tightened up because a lot of it just seems really kind of that was the the easy joke to go for type of deal. And I'm like, I know you guys are better than that. Um, it was a a bit weird to see Abigail Breslin just go back to her because when we saw the first one. She's a little younger, and so your brain has to process the fact that we're watching these characters 10 years in real time, uh, so that it was very weird to see adult Abigail Breslin, because we're used to like her as a child and uh, a teenager and stuff. So, And plus, she hasn't done much that's really been no. super high profile, so yeah, it's just it's kind of stuff, weird and maybe, jarring. And, yeah, some yeah. Like, smaller movies and stuff, so like, yeah, she's yeah. been kind of keeping out of the, the limelight. Um but no, she needs to come back because uh, she's good. Uh, so the supporting characters... She's an Oscar nominee. <laughs> right, exactly. People forget that. Um, yeah, so the, the people surrounding them, I thought they were... I, I love using this word, uh, and Joel, my eye roll, that's fine. Uh, they're cheeky. It, they're fun. Um, they're not anything that are, are impactful on the overall story, maybe besides the commune people, just because that's where the last action set piece is. But everyone else is just like, they're there. Um, but once again, it kind of just goes back to like, this is world building. They're running into possible other people. Uh, some of them might die quickly, more quickly than others. Um, I just thought they were they were all fun. I do think people are blowing Zoe Deutsch way out of the water. Like, she's good in the role, folks, uh, as a as a ditzy blonde. But people are like, Oscar nominated. It, it just, it's back to the whole Hustlers thing again. It's like, guys chill like it's a good performance but like let's take a breath for a second um but she was really fun to watch on screen because i you know what's really fun about like people that like portray ditzy blondes is that i have no idea how they're going to pronounce things what's going to come out of their mouth next they're unpredictable and that's what makes it fun it's like i have no idea how her character is going to react to anything and that's what made uh her, her character more surprising and fun to watch uh, the Luke Wilson and Thomas Middleditch thing, a couple giggles, I guess, uh, and they were definitely participating in the coolest action sequence in that entire 
uh, movie for sure with the one shot. Um, oh, and the, to comment on that, the, the cinematography, the cinematography is actually really good, and it it's way better than the first one. And Sony has a knack uh, to do this for all their movies. They use a lot of green screen, and it's very apparent. But what's really great about the Zombieland movies is like, well, first of all, this movie is shot very well. But two, since they've embraced this like campy zombie tone, the green screen backgrounds actually work in its favor. And that's what's really odd about it is like I'm sitting there watching this going, Sony, you do this all the time and your some of your backgrounds are obviously green screen and like you guys don't mask them in as as good as you should. But the campiness actually works for it. So this is one of those weird, rare cases where I'm okay with the green screen lookalike background. So, um, yeah, I just want to comment on that. But, yeah, the, the performances uh, are, are all, I guess Joel nailed the right word, serviceable. They work for the story. But I think as my overall experience, even with some of the downfalls, I had fun with it. Um, it is not something I want to necessarily watch again. But if someone were to plop it down in front of me, I'm not going to resist and uh, you know be like, no, I'm not going to watch this. Um, but I think with the, even its negative things with the the comedy and you know all that stuff, I, I give it like a B minus. I mean, so if you really think about it, we're not too far off in our grades. Uh, but the difference is, I had slight slightly more enthusiasm uh than joel did which is it's not an issue we're not so far apart from this we're like we're gonna argue about it's just like you know there's certain movies that hit with me where i can be like hey that was enjoyable and then stuff like gemini man where i'm like that was a chore to sit through so it just it depends on how it hits you um so yeah if you're a fan of the first one i do think you should watch the sequel and uh, determine for yourself uh, whether you liked it, loved it, or hated it, and uh, let us know. But, Joel, that is, uh, that's my take on it, sir. Just as long as everybody knows that I am right. All right. <laughs> as you state every single week, sir, so I think they know. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, for, yeah, for me, I guess I wouldn't resist it. I, I would probably pick, like, 22 Jump Street as a better comedy sequel to a really super R-rated <laughs> Yeah, movie you, you and I people both who, agree on that. Who broke out in 2009. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. All right, folks, that's it. Uh, not much to talk about there, but next week there will be a movie that, that should have a lot to talk about. Uh, Chase has already seen it. It's The Lighthouse. That's what we're reviewing next week. That's our big sort of, I guess, Halloween review. Um, which, kind which, of. which for, first of all, that is such a perfect movie to do. Like when you see it, Joel, <laughs> you're gonna realize that you watched like some weird Twilight Zone episode, and you're like, "This is perfect for the Halloween season." Right. I I can't wait. I'm seeing it Thursday evening. Um, I'm giving myself like a full day. Uh, you know, I told uh, we're recording on Saturday morning. We could easily record on Friday night, but I'm giving myself a whole day to kind of chew through it, if you will. Um, to chew on it. There we go. Not chew through it. What am I? What am I trying to say? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I can't wait. Uh, you know, Robert Eggers really made a statement with the witch, which I liked quite a bit. Uh, I feel like he could easily improve on that. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to see uh, can I, <laughs> whatever. Can I, a, he has. can I make a prediction right now? What I think you'll actually like the lighthouse more than the witch. 
I mean, I gave The Witch a solid B, B plus, something like that. So I, 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 I think I, I think yeah. I think even if you have slight issues with it, I think you're going to dip your toe into the the grade A pool. Okay, okay, we'll see, we'll see. I'm so, I'm definitely excited. And then and then I guess we'll go ahead and go through no, November. Might as well. Yeah, go ahead. Help, uh, so uh, got... folks, uh, buckle up because uh, it's going to get yes. interesting. So sometime late into the weekend of the first weekend of November. Um, we're doing Jojo Rabbit. Uh, that's going to be our our one for that week. We are not doing Terminator Dark Fate, even though it's really big. In fact, I'm not even seeing that in theaters. I'm going to wait until 4K. Uh, just got other things I'm prioritizing. Um, and it, the reason that it's late into that weekend is because I have a big dentist appointment on the first. My birthday is on the second, um, and I'm not going to want to, you know, record on that day. Um, so not only do I really, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely see it before the evening of the third, or the morning of the third, whenever we record on the third. Um, but it'll be sometime late in the weekend, um, potentially Monday morning before most people are, are listening to it. So, um, so there's that. And then the second weekend of November, we're doing Doctor Sleep, the new Stephen King adaptation. He's had a big year with that. It Chapter Two. Castle Rock is uh, just starting. The Outsider is just about to start on uh, on HBO. Pet Cemetery, I guess, could be looped into that. So yeah, big time for Stephen King right now, and that's the that's the latest. And then the third weekend movie, I'm really excited for. Good old fashioned um, kind of Oscars prestige drama. Ford v Ferrari. Can't wait. Uh, or versus Ferrari. However you say that. Uh, and then Frozen 2 the following weekend because, of course, uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of the first one. So obviously we're going to do that. Uh, it also looks terrific. So I'm, I'm excited. And the last weekend is Knives Out, which we will record sometime just after Thanksgiving Black Friday Madness. Yeah, I just want to let um, you guys know that I will be gone that full week. Uh, right, <laughs> exactly. And so uh, I, uh, I brought that up to Joel a while back. So we'll, we'll figure out the actual day, but that will be the um, – um, the last one for that month. Yes, yeah, and then it'll probably it may even show up on the same day as our uh, as our list of the ten worst, um, which is coming on December first. So we'll be we'll be figuring all of that out uh, as we come to it, and uh, yeah, so that's November, and we'll get into December later on. But December is pretty big too. So that is it. That's we that's what we've got in store for you guys. It's going to be a really good fall season. Um, and I'm excited. All right. So until then, I am Joel. That is Chase. Uh, you can find my stuff on joelonfilm.com in addition to Zombieland. Uh, from this week, I reviewed Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and The Laundromat. None of this weekend's movies were good. So just letting you know that. I also turned the clock back a week. I reviewed The Addams Family, which I liked, um, surprisingly enough. I didn't expect to, but it was, it was pretty fun. Uh, also, El Camino. Uh, which I liked, and Gemini Man, which I didn't. So um, two positive reviews, four negative ones. Go check them out. Um, also, you can follow my daily progress in terms of a diary on Letterboxd. Just search my name or in the um, the URL box thing, type Jay Copeling. And then um, I'll, also my uh, my Twitter feed is at Copeling. Some of my writing can be found on uh, DallasMovieScreenings.com. We've got reviews already of uh, Marriage Story. If you want to go read those, we have a we have an episode uh, dedicated to that in the future. But if you want to, you can. 
We've both got reviews of that up there from the uh, the North Texas Film Festival. I also have next week a review of The Kill Team uh, on the slate. I haven't watched that yet, but uh, but I will be this weekend. So, yeah, that's where all you can find all of my stuff. So, Chase, what about you? Yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at RealChaseLee. If you guys want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at Podcast. And, of course, if you want to get you know exclusive early looks uh, into – Maybe stuff that we aren't reviewing uh, until later on in this show. You can go to my YouTube page and all that, all that jazz. But you guys will get um, many reviews uh, as scheduled uh, next week. Like I said, is going to be busy. You guys will get a mini review of the current war director's cut, Black and Blue, and uh, the Kill Team, and yeah, and then the episode of the Lighthouse. So very stacked week. So get your download button finger ready and just download everything that's going to be dropping this week. It's going to be great stuff. So that uh, will do it for my uh, social footprint on uh, the interwebs. But if you guys want to follow, you know, this podcast, like it, share it, do what you got to do and spread this around and let people know what is up and uh, why this is your favorite movie podcast. If you were new to the show, hopefully you stuck around and hopefully return next week. And if you're a returning listener, you guys know you're awesome and uh, we'll, we can't wait to see you next week. So that is Joel. I am Chase. This has been episode 296 of the Real Me and Cole in the Movie Podcast. Next week, episode 297 with The Lighthouse. Going to be good stuff. We will see you guys next week. Have a good day, good night, whenever you're listening to this. Stay awesome. You guys are the best. Uh, We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. To women who hoped to evade the ticking clock of time, Dr. Frederick Brandt was the most potent drug dealer in the world. And the dealer got high on his own supply. From Imperative Entertainment and the team behind Broken Hearts comes a new series that will challenge everything you know about fame, fortune, and the fear of growing old. I'm Justine Harmon, and this is The Baron of Botox.